welcome all those who are watching online. I know we've got heaps watching online, and so uh, great to connect with you. And uh, I know whatever God's doing here, He wants to do with you as well. And uh, we're doing a series on sonship. Uh, previously, we've done the series differently. We did it as a, uh, a series over a weekend and uh, did it as a seminar. And uh, this time, we're going to do it a little bit differently now. We're doing it over th- uh, four, uh, four Sundays, so it'll be different. And uh, different is good. <laughs> Okay, I want to, I shared with you last week that I was going to speak this week on the three R's of sonship, and for those who are wondering what's coming next week, I want to share a message called Sons Are Builders, Sons Are Builders. So next week, that'll be the focus and the, and the title of the message. So as I said, it'll be different to what we did in the seminar, it'll cover different fresh things, but these will cover something we covered before. So here it is, three R's. So how many ever heard the term three R's, you know? You know, if you're old enough, you know that. Today, you wouldn't hear it at all. But if you're old enough, you know, they just taught the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, which is a bit of a liberty, really, because that's how you spell them. But they basically, if you look up the three R's, they, 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 they describe them as the foundations of an academic education. You need to read, you need to write, you need to be able to do maths. If you can't do that, uh, then you're in trouble. And, of course, uh, they, they're trying to remove all of that and change it all these days. But these form the foundations. And I was reading also, I looked, I looked up three R's and I found there was another one there and they had uh, that if you're going to be a leader, then the three R's of leadership are respect, responsibility, and resourcefulness. I didn't know that. That's something new, isn't it? But I want to look into uh, John chapter 17 and I want to show you three foundational functions of what it means to be a child of God, to be a son of God. And uh, when we don't understand things, we don't understand how something works, then we misuse it. And uh, it's really important in days like this that we understand our identity and how to function in that identity. So let's read in John chapter 17, verse 1 through to verse 6. Jesus spoke these words, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour's come, glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. You've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is, now here he begins to describe it, this is eternal or age-lasting life, or this is the life that comes out of the eternal realm. And he says, uh, this is eternal life that they may know you, you can underline that, the one true God, only one true God. There's no many ways, there's only one true God. And he says, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, and the word sent means apostello, to send as a representative on a mission. So you reject the representative, you reject the one who sent him. And, uh, and he said, I have glorified you on earth. Uh, I have finished the work you've given me to do. So there's another thing on the line. I finished the job, finished the work. Now he hasn't gone to the cross, so we need to think what that work might be. And he said, now, Father, glorify me with yourself, the glory I had before the world was. And here's the third one. I have manifested your name to the man you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus reveals three aspects of what it means to be a child of God. Three aspects of what sonship design is. If there's a design, that means God's planned a way for it to work. You take one part out, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as it was intended. And so here they are, and they're the three R's. The first one is relationship relationship. He said, and he says, uh, and notice he said that this is eternal life that they may know you. So 
Relationship means having a personal relational connection with God as your father. Secondly, the second R, we would call responsibility. Uh, he said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. To finish a job means you were responsible. You did what you were called to do. Notice he said, so, so the second aspect of being a child of God is that we serve our Father, we fulfill things He gives us to do. And then the third aspect is representation, to be a representative. He said, I have manifested your name. As we'll look at this, it means to reveal who you are. So then, if you're going to be a child of God, you're called firstly into relationship with Him, a connection with Him, and I'll expand on this a bit shortly. Secondly, you are called to be responsible. It's a big issue today. People don't want to be responsible. They want to play the game of victim and blame someone else. But God calls sons to be responsible. He gives them assignments, something for them that's suited for them to do. And thirdly, representative. to be a representative means you act in place of someone else. You're not doing your own thing. You're acting to represent someone. And I'm going to focus around that because this is an area that the church doesn't really get or understand very much. So every part of this, it's like three circles interacting with one another. Relationship, responsibility, and being a representative. To be a representative, I must know what my father's like. I need relationship. In order to do what he wants me to do, I need relationship. So all of the things all work together. You focus on one at the expense of the others, you become somewhat dysfunctional. So I want to pick up the thought of man being created as the representative. I just want to focus on God's creation and his plan. Then we're going to look at each of the three aspects today. Okay, then, here we are. So first of all, man was created to be representative. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but you're actually called to represent someone. That means you're not here to do your own thing. You're called to act as a representative. So let's read in Psalm 103:19. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven... His kingdom rules over all. So when God created the earth, he had something in mind that he would extend his kingdom. His kingdom existed in the realm of the spirit. When he created the physical earth, physical creation, all the physical creation, his plan was he would expand his kingdom into that whole realm. Does that make sense to you? He's a king, he's gonna expand his kingdom. And uh, so he intended that he would rule over the earth he created, and he would display what he's like, his goodness, his love. The earth would be filled with the goodness of God, the creativity of God, that's what he had in mind. So if you think about a kingdom now, any kingdom has got four essential components. Number one, it has a king that rules. So whenever you read about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, you're talking about a ruler, someone who rules, they're not elected, they are the king. They're in charge. So we have to understand then, our thinking must be aligned to think kingdom. So when God created all of this earth, he created it to extend his kingdom over it all. And that means he would rule over it. Secondly, a kingdom refers to property or territory. So the whole of the physical world is called to be an extension of God's kingdom, the place he rules. A kingdom also refers to subjects or, or people. So 
if a king is king over a kingdom, then there's a place he rules over and there's a people he rules over as well. And of course, we have a brilliant example of that, just looking at the whole thing of the funeral of the queen and then the, ele- and then the appointment of a king. And if you were to go in there, you will find that all, uh, many of the features around the appointment of the king and the anointing of the king and everything, and even what they sing and read, all comes out of the Bible. It goes right back to David's kingdom. It's amazing. That's, that's why it's like it is. The kingdom is the pattern God has for uniting everything in creation. And then the kingdom, of course, has a culture or system of rules that makes it work. So it doesn't just everyone does what they want. There's always a system of law and rules. There's a way of doing things. So when you are born again, when you receive Christ, you are translated out of another kingdom, out of the power of darkness, out of an invisible kingdom ruled over by the devil, and you are positioned in your heart as part of a different kingdom. That means you have a new king or ruler over your life. You become part of a family of people that God rules over, and there are patterns and ways that he does things. You follow his pattern, things go well. You don't follow his pattern, you break his laws, then demonic spirits have room to operate. And we see the chaos in the earth today is because of the rejection of God, the rejection of his rule, the rejection of his principles, and therefore chaos. Absolute chaos, wars, all kinds of difficulties. We see that everywhere. So, so when you think now about a kingdom, so God, remember God is, is the king over all of creation. He creates the physical realm. His desire is to extend his kingdom in it. Now, here's the thing. that How is the king going to rule? So any kingdom... It has to be ruled. Now, there's two ways the king can rule over his kingdom. One is he does it directly. So God, because he is God, is able to directly rule everywhere. He's able to speak into the heart of every person. He's able to engage you. He's omnipresent. He's able to be everywhere. Therefore, it's possible for God to rule over the whole earth by himself. He doesn't need anyone to do it. However, he decided that that's not how we would do it. He would work through people. He would work through people. So a kingdom then is ruled over either directly by the king or by someone he delegates to represent him, an organized pattern or structure for his kingdom. That's how it must work. All kingdoms work the same way. So God has created man to be his representative, to carry out his purposes, to rule as he would rule. So that's God's plan. So think about this. If you have been created to rule, you need to know the one who created you to rule. You need to know what he's like and how he would do stuff. How can you represent someone you don't know? Think about that. If you don't know him, you won't know how he would deal with stuff. You would just come up with your own ideas, which is what people do. So so very clearly then, God has chosen man to represent him. So if we're going to rule over whatever sphere God's given us, then we need to know what God is like, how he would operate, and we need to know the rules and principles of his kingdom. They're all found in the Bible, of course. You want to read and study the Bible and find out how God operates. So for example, when God formed the nation Israel, the first thing he did was go give Mo- gave Moses 10 commandments. The Ten Commandments are divided up into two groups, how to relate to God and how to relate to people. And they were to form the foundation 
of a nation and a culture, heaven on the earth. Once you start to see it, you see how all of these things in the Bible come together and how God has displayed it little by little all through the Bible. So think about this then, only someone uh, specially made for this purpose could do the job. Only someone specially made or specially created could do the job. So you say, well, why don't he get angels to do it then? Well, the Bible says that angels are just servants. Angels do not carry the nature of God. They're very powerful beings, but they're not, they don't carry the nature of God. There's only one part of creation that actually carries the nature, character of God, and that is man. So only man can be the representative. In Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion. So God's thinking not just of one man in charge of everything, he's thinking of people in charge over God's creation, delegated something to do. And so God created man in his image, the image of God he created, and male and female he created them. So when God created man, he created the men male and female so male and female together represent the nature and the character of god his intention was they would work together they would not be competitive competitiveness came in after the fall unity was what was characterized before the fall so so notice there then uh, man is created so he's, he created us in our image that means in his image he created us to be uh, to resemble him or to represent him in his likeness means to be a similar form or to be closely representing him. So how was man to be the representative of God? Very simple, God created man to be a spirit being. God is a spirit, you are a spirit. Birds produce birds, cats produce cats, dogs produce dogs. God, a spirit, produces spirit beings. He's called the father of spirits. So you are a spirit being. There's, there's a uniqueness about you, a spirit being dwelling in a body with soul and emotions, able to make decisions. And so that's, that's who we are. We're created as a spirit being able to, to connect with God because we are spirit like him, connecting spirit to spirit. We are created for an assignment on the earth and we are created to represent God. That's the whole deal. That's what the design is. Sin is what's wrecked it all. So God has created us to be sons. Now, when we use the word son, we're not using a gender term. It's just a pattern. Father and a son have a function in the Bible. And so when he's using the term son, he's including men and women. He called their name Adam. They, the man he created was made up of male and female. So you don't distinguish. When we use the word son, we're not referring to gender, man or woman. We're referring to the people God has created. So here's the thing. There is a difference between a servant and a son. Here's one of, there's lots of differences, but here's, here's two differences. A servant just fulfills the tasks that are given to him. He just does the jobs that he's told to do. That's a servant. Servant does not have any inheritance in the house. A son is really quite different. See, so the servant is concerned about getting the task done. But a son is the heir of the, heir of the house. So if you're part of a family, then there's probably some inheritance of some kind. If the parents have been godly, they will have built some inheritance financially or whatever. And then when the parents pass on, then there's an inheritance. So then if you are investing in that inheritance, it's something you eventually are going to have yourself. 
So you understand that a son then knows that whatever he works with his father to build, he will be owning later on. There's a big difference right there. There's a huge difference right there. So angels, which are servants, just serve the father and do what he tells them to do. They don't carry the nature of God, and they're not heirs. The only ones that are heirs that have the right to ownership of all of creation and to share it with God is man. That's the privilege we have. So if you're an heir, you look at every task differently to a servant. If you're a servant, we just do what's told to do. But if you're an heir, you're thinking, this is, this is not just a job to do, this is my father's business, and I'm working with him to build something that I'm going to be a part sharer in. Think about that. And there are lot, I, I don't want to get sidetracked on that aspect, but it's a very, very big thing. The Bible talks a lot about inheritance and how when it came to inheritance, you remember Jacob and Esau, how Esau despised the inheritance. Jacob valued it, and even though he was, he was crooked in how he went trying to get it, God valued the fact that he valued eternal things. And God raised him up. Okay, so let's just not get too tracked down there. We'll just keep going. So, so we're created then to be representative of God. Here it is, a couple of scriptures. Uh, in Genesis 1:26, let them have dominion. In Psalm 115, verse 16, uh, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but earth he's given to the children of men. So who has he given the earth to? To men. So our whole legacy in the future is to rule the creation God gave us. Now, of course, since we've only got 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is, we need to have a resurrected body to fulfill all of that, but that's all part of the plan as well. The, the design has never changed that man would be a steward of the earth and everything that God has created. Uh, in Psalm 8, he tells us, uh, in verse 6, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, you put all things under his feet. So God has created man to rule as his representative. So you've you got to understand that one of your primary functions as a, as, a, as a human being is to be a representative of someone. An ambassador is a representative of someone. They represent another country. So they don't give their own opinions. They give the opinions of the country they belong to. So you are called an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Therefore, you are an ambassador to speak and act on behalf of your father. You need to know what he has to say then about marriage, about family, about finances, about attitudes, about morality. He got a lot to say about a lot of things because he's got the idea how to make it work. So if I'm his representative, I need to discover how he wants things to work. Great to see people doing a relational course, learning how to make life work according to the pattern that God gave. And I'm sure those going through it would have found, oh, oh, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> so dumb. How could I have done that for so long and not knowing? But see, ignorance is the problem. We don't know God's ways. We do our own dumb ideas and then it doesn't work. We end up yelling at one another. And that's not working either. No one's listening. So we need to really get to know God's ways. Isn't that right? So, so if you're chosen to be a representative, a representative stands in the place of another. So man, that's you and me, men and women, we're called to stand on the earth in the place of God standing on the earth as his representative. See? That means you act on his behalf. 
you, you, you function to do what he needs done. That's why every one of us has got a call on our life. Everyone has got something unique to do. Okay, then. And, and we're called to display what he's like. So to be a representative means you, you show up what someone else is like and the way you respond. A lot of Christians need to get that one. And, of course, if you're the representative, then you act to advance his purposes. Representative, stand in his place, act on his behalf, show what he's like, advance his interests. That's what it means to be representative. So here's the question. Will you represent yourself or will you represent what God, your father? And that's the core of the issue there. See? That's the core of the issue. So Adam, carrying the DNA of his father, could then make a decision. He could decide to be the representative of his father and fulfill his purpose, or he could cast off the restraint and act on his own behalf and do what he felt would be in his own interest. And therein is the cause of the fall. This is why man fell. This is why man lost his everything. This is why we have the problems in the earth. This very, it comes down to this. Instead of acting as God, his father's representative, and fulfilling what his father wanted, he decided to advance his own interests, to cast off the restraint of his father, cast off the boundary his father set, and I have a better plan for me to get ahead. That's the core of the fall. I have a better plan than God's plan, and it will get me ahead. That's the core of it. And ever since Adam sinned and fell that way, that's how everyone thinks. I've got a better plan than God's plan, and the core center of this plan is me getting ahead of everyone else. So I'm in competition with everyone else. You understand? That's the core of sin. That's what sin looks like. I have fallen away from a relationship that's life-giving and loving and being the representative of another, serving another. I've now become the center of my own world. So think about it. When, when God's re representative in the world is always a son, it's never an angel, it's his son. So God intended that the, the kingdom of heaven would be the same in the earth as it is in the heavens. When you pray it, your kingdom come. So, so God intended that the kingdom in the realm of the spirit would become the kingdom revealed on the earth. And what did that look like? That the will of done would, God would be done on the earth and all the resources and goodness and, and, and the things that God would release would be released into the earth. That's how it, that's the plan. So when you're praying our father in heaven, you're acknowledging God as your father. We're giving honor to him as the creator. And then we're praying to align our life with his life. Father, your kingdom, your rule come and that means your will be done on earth just the same way it's being done in heaven in other words all the resources of heaven would start to flow into the earth and make the earth a wonderful place marriage a wonderful place family a wonderful place finances blessed okay. good to think about that so so adam's mandate was to establish the order and culture of heaven and the earth Say that again. God, Adam's mandate was to establish on earth the order, the way relationships work, and the culture, the values of heaven in the earth. So if you're God's representative, then you need to think about order, the way relationships are intended to work. 
not how the world says it's meant to work. The world basically is under the, the influence of another spiritual power, totally contrary to God's order. Therefore, the message the world brings will always be one of rebellion and anger against the order that God has established because that's a governmental order. So God has set an order in the church. He set an order in marriage. You need to understand what the order is. It's not to be oppressive. It's an order of service, an order to function so God's blessing would flow. God's got an order between children and parents and parents and children. When it's functioning properly, then blessing and benefits and legacy is flowing. That's order. And culture means the, the values. Culture refers to the values, the creativity, the expression of something. We talk about a, a, a Maori culture, a Pacifica culture. Every, uh, every group of people has a culture, but heaven has a culture. Heaven has uh, values. So when Jesus came, one of the first things, you remember his message, the Sermon on the Mount? That's about the culture of heaven, the ways you relate to people, the kind of values that is important in heaven. So in the earth, strength is important. In the kingdom of God, meekness is important. In, in, the, in the world, to rise up and be the top dog is important, but in the kingdom, to be humble and be the servant is important. You understand there's a conflict between the culture of earth which has been shaped by rebellion against God's order and the culture of heaven, which is a new culture. So when you get born again, your spirit comes alive and you enter a relationship with God and now you have the power to change. It doesn't mean you become mature. It just means you have the power to change. You've received the spirit of your father into you you are now placed into relationship with your father. You have the power to be different. Before, you couldn't. You kept falling over, falling into traps and snares and all kinds of things you hated and very self-centered life. But once we receive Jesus Christ, who is the pattern representative of the father, when you receive him, then his spirit enters your life. It's called the spirit of sonship. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he now generates a new life in you. You're born again. You're not mature. You're still childish in many ways. We're just infants, but we've got a new start, a new spirit, a new heart. We have a desire towards God now. That's the new thing. And I've actually become a new creation. So every one of you here that is a, or among us that, are, that have received Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God has entered us. We are a completely new creation in the earth. What else is in the earth? Well, there's other people who are separated from God and living out of their soul and out of their, uh, their mind and their reasoning, but this is a new creation where God has united with man in the earth. This makes you a new creation. But you've got to learn the culture and the ways of your father. You've got to learn his order in relationships and embrace it. When we reject his order, we're rebelling against that and we come under constantly demonic pressure and, and all kinds of torment. So anyway, so, so the, the Adam then had the potential to rule as a representative and fulfill the call of God on his life or refuse and throw off it and do what he wanted to do. So when he chose that path, which is the same path we've all chosen, 
They said, all, like man, have gone astray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a way that seems right to man, but the way, end of the ways of death. All of us have taken that path. That's been our way of living. But when Adam chose to reject his father's boundaries and living under authority and the guidance and provision of his father, a lot of things happened. He lost his relationship. He lost his capacity to represent his father. He now represented himself. He became a spiritual orphan. So he got no father. He's alone in the world, has to provide for himself. And then he becomes led by his soul, his feelings and circumstances, and not by the spirit. He becomes self-centered, not God-centered. And he lost his authority. Quite serious things, aren't they? Very serious. Now, that's the condition we find people in. So when you come to Christ, then a seed is planted in you, in, in that sense, a seed of the kingdom of God. You now have the potential now to totally be transformed, but that's not automatic. Just coming to church isn't going to do it. That's not going to do it for you. It's a help, but it's more is needed. I actually have to embrace the process of growing and maturing as God intended and recognize how he does it. And I need to pursue a relationship with my father because if I'm going to represent him, I need to get to know what he's like. So, of course, if you've had brokenness in your family, you've got distorted perceptions of what God might be like. And so there's got to be a, a process of restoration take place. So there's a big lot of learning here. There's a lot of actually called growing. We've got to grow up. And so in order to grow us up, God puts us in the family. That family's called his family, called the church. And people get attitudes about the church, but they've got attitudes about God and his family. I don't know about you. When people get attitudes against my family, I kind of take it a little personally. <laughs> See, it may not be a perfect family, but actually it's still my family. Makes sense? So, so when you look at the local church, for all its shortcomings and shortfallings, it's still God's family. So how you treat it is how you're treating the father of that family. Ooh. Ooh. Whoa. Think about that. Okay. So, so just as God's intention was to, to, to create a son to represent him, and that son failed miserably, God never changed the plan. He didn't have to come up with a rescue plan or anything. He actually already had planned his son would be the restorer of the problem. So, so in other words, instead of God trying to explain what it all looks like, he lets it revel like a great story over history so you can see it and study it and then learn about how amazing God is. And so God restored or restoration came through the son. So when Jesus was born, the angels all said, uh, glory to God on highest and on earth peace and goodwill to me. In other words, God announced the kingdom may have been lost, but I'm about to bring it back again. How about that? And, and so even Isaiah prophesied that unto, him, unto the child is born, unto us the son is given, upon his shoulders shall be all the government. When Jesus started his ministry, what did he start by saying? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So you understand then that with the advent of Jesus Christ, God was sending a son to refix up all the damage and get it back on track again. But he never changed the plan that he would have sons and daughters that would share in his rulership over creation. It just needed God's son to fix it up, which he did. 
and we haven't seen the full fix yet. We saw the legal part of it, and now we see uh, it's moving towards the end as we get towards the end time. So, so in order to repair the damage, God had to send a son. He couldn't send angels in to fix it up. He had to send a son because the son needed to do what Adam didn't do. So Jesus came to do what Adam didn't do, which was be fully obedient to his father, and therefore by yielding his life to serve his father, he was able to rescue us all. Amazing. We give Jesus all the honor. And Jesus revealed exactly what the father's like. It says in John 49, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says in John, he says, the works I do, my father in me is doing them. So he said, he's the perfect representative. That's why he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and your representative. Because if you reject the representative, you reject the one who sent them. If you reject Jesus, there is no way into heaven. There is no way into the kingdom. He is the only way because he is the representative. You can't say, well, I've got a different plan. I want to park Jesus over there as a good guy, and I've got another plan to get there. Sorry, it's not going to work that way because Father has not got a second plan. He's got no alternative routes. If there was an alternative route, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Don't you think if there was an alternative route, then he wouldn't have died? He would have taken an easier way. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. To reject Jesus is to reject the fatherhood of God. There is no, you, there's no simple way of putting it. Now, people don't like to hear that. They want to hear there's many ways. But really what they're saying is, I reject the authority of God to declare the way. I want to make up my own salvation. And that's what all religions are all about, making up our own way towards a relationship being restored with God again. Jesus said there's only one way. It's by his death as our representative. It says in Ephesians 2.14, we have access to the Father by him, by Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God. There is no other way of accessing God as your Father again except through Jesus Christ. We come to Christ, then the Spirit of God is put into our heart. Now we're born again. We can begin the journey of discovering and fulfilling what God called us to be. We're getting real quiet on this. Spent spend a lot of time this week thinking this one through. Really a lot of time. So that brings us down to then three, three areas of sonship. And if you take away the three words that you need to really think of is, well, number one, relationship. I need a relationship with God. Number two, I need to become responsible. Stop playing the victim. Be responsible not just for my life, but for what God called me to do. And number three, I need to live my life as the representative of another, not just doing my own thing. Okay then. So, so Jesus, so just a few thoughts on that, and because I won't have the time to complete it, I've just focused quite a bit about this first part being the representative. But if I just share just a few thoughts around that, that, that being, having a relationship is a priority because a relationship opens up a life flow to you. Relationship means you're connecting to someone. It means there's an interaction between you. 
and, and uh, to know, that word know, uh, this is uh, eternal life, that they know you, that word know means a personal, intimate knowledge gained through experience. God wants you to have experiential knowledge, not just know about him. You need encounters, experiences with him where he reveals himself to you. Does that make sense? And that knowledge is progressively developed. So don't think because you got to know Jesus years ago, that's the end of it. It says, it talks about the unsearchable depths and riches. In other words, it's an ongoing thing. And uh, so every son makes a relationship with God their priority. So the first thing to look at is how is your relationship with God going? A relationship with God would consist of three things. Number one, personal intimacy drawing close, experiencing, being near, and belonging to him. Intimacy would mean uh, being, getting to know someone progressively because more of your life is being shared and more of him is being shared with you. That's what intimacy looks like. It's a progressive opening of your life, your fears, your doubts, your struggles. You're bringing God into each part of your life. You're becoming intimate. It's developed through worship and listening to God. Another aspect of, uh, uh, of uh, that intimacy, um, it starts by receiving Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior. That's the start point of intimacy with God is I receive Christ, I become born again, filled with the Spirit of God. Now I must then build my relationship. No one is responsible but you to build it. So you build it through daily encounters with God. You build it through fellowship, sharing your life with Him. You build it through hunger, developing a hunger for Him. And you develop it by surrendering, yielding to His Spirit. That's that kind of thing. Another aspect of relationship is trust. Trust, Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. See? So trust is a decision to place confidence that God is good and faithful, reliable. Right? It's a decision to become vulnerable, trusting. It's the hard one, this one. It's the, the most sensitive one. So, so to trust God means you commit something you value into his hands. It makes you vulnerable to him. To trust God means you respond to his counsel and guidance. You're trusting him, that his way is better than your way. So when you forgive someone, you are trusting that God will take care of this issue for you. See? When, when you start to order your finances and make a portion for giving to, to the Lord, you are trusting that God will care and multiply the rest. See? In Psalm 9 verse 10, those who know your name or those who know what you're like will trust you. So you need to know what God is like. Then you know I can trust him. Can you trust him with your marriage? If you're a wife, can you trust your husband? Well, big issues. But that's the core of relationship. If there's areas of distrust, they have to be repaired. So intimacy can be established by deepening the trust. Okay, then. All right. And, and of course, the third aspect of relationship is honor. The honor means you place a high value and you treat someone with respect. So if you want to build a relationship with God, learn to honor him and respect him and his word and his ways and deal with defilement in your life and have a proper attitude to the family of God. That's our father's family. Don't get familiar and treat them and talk about them and gossip about them and run them down and criticize them. They're just 
immature children on a journey. Love them and build them and help them and invest in them. You understand? So, so if I want to build a relationship with God, then I must honor him in my life on a daily basis. I must learn to progressively entrust my life into his care and trust he will work it out, even though it doesn't always initially look that way. And I must uh, learn how to build the intimacy with him. Huh? Uh, the third, the, the other area was responsibility. So responsibility means you've got something you're called to do. You're responsible. There are lots of areas of responsible. Jesus said, I honored you, Father, and this is how I honored you. John 74, I finished the work you gave me to do. So fathers give their sons work to do. Give them something to do. They have a purpose. He's assigned a work, and in doing that, he's called to represent his father in the work. He was called to do what Adam didn't do. Okay? So an assignment then is a specific task. And the Bible tells us very clearly that all sons are given assignments. You, it's your job to find what he called you to do. So God puts you in a house like this so you can be trained how to be faithful. That's one of the purposes of being in a church, is so you can learn how to be faithful in serving the house of our Father. Oh, it's getting real quiet now. <laughs> I can feel the air almost sucking out because you hadn't thought of it. But that's what it's about. See, if you can't be trusted to turn up when you've got a job to do for your father's house, you can't be trusted full stop. It means you've got an attitude about your father and his house of disrespect and dishonor. And it's, maybe no one says anything, but God sees it all and notices. And this is very important to your maturity, your development, your inheritance. So every son is given assignments, and they vary in scope and size over the course of our lives. So, you know, I started my first assignments where I just, I cleaned the floors with a vacuum cleaner. I made cups of tea. I've done all kinds of things, even cleaned out the toilets. didn't really matter. You see, it's just a job to do for Father. And you're doing it all for your Father in heaven, not for someone to notice you or to get some recognition. That's what it's about. And so we're created, Ephesians 2.10, for works that God has prepared before you've begun. So before you even thought of God has something for you to do, you've got to find what he's called you to do and prepare yourself so you can fulfill it. And so God has purposes in those assignments. And every, I think another thing to recognize about your assignments is this, is that God sends you. Every son, God sends. So you've got to realize then if, you, if you're in a certain neighborhood, God sent you there. If you're in a workplace or got a business, God sent you there. You're commissioned as his representative to carry out his purpose there. If you just think of church as church and the rest of it's everything else, you're not thinking kingdom. You've got to think, I am a representative all the time of my father. If I've got a marriage and a family, I was sent there to be a blessing and to build it. If I'm in a business or a work, I'm sent there to build it. And whatever God has sent you to do, he will authorize it. He will back you up and give you spiritual authority to operate in that area. You just got to learn how to do that. Yeah, it's getting real quiet, isn't it? Okay. I think it's because it's so profound. It's so simple, yet so profound because it affects everything that you do. So, and then the last thing is, that we need to represent God. Well, how did Jesus represent God? How did he do it? Well, he did it through his life. He, he did it by the kind of life he lived. Purity, perseverance, commitment. That's how he showed what God is like. 
How else did he show? He showed by his way he related to people. He included people. Didn't judge them, included them. Show compassion on them, serve them. That's how you be a representative of God. It's not being a boss man. It's being a servant person, a loving person, a compassionate person. A person knows how to stand up for truth and not be pushed around or manipulated by people. And that's how Jesus did it. He did it in his teaching. He taught, this is what it looks like, and now I'm, this is I'm living it out. He demonstrated his father's, what his father's like by his ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus did it, I mean, all of these things I could develop in a lot, but if you, got, if you catch the overview of it, you kind of see it. So you're called to be that representative too. Wherever you are, I cannot do what you alone are called to do. Now you can look and you can say, I've got all these culture issues and whatever. No, 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 no. You're saying God didn't know what he was doing when he made me like this with this gender and this racial background and that family background and that cultural issue to face. You're saying God didn't know what he was doing. He did know what he was doing. He made you and sent you there to show what he's like and what can be done by someone yielded to the Holy Spirit. Doesn't this bring honor to your life now? It brings honor and dignity to what you're called to do. You don't have to be looking at what anyone else is doing. That's the result of the fall, that comparison. I just need to know and be confident in what God called me to do and act at all times like his representative. And, if, and, and God puts me in a body, and, and of course it shows up where you don't act like his representative. You've got to do something. So to be his representative means... He puts me on a maturity pathway. So the Holy Spirit is responsible for your personal maturity. It's his job. So how does he do that? Well, he sets you up in certain ways. He just lets the fruit of what's going on in your life manifest and people react and suddenly you've got issues to face. And it causes you to look and say, wait a minute, I got areas in my heart need healing. There's places I don't know the love of God. I've got issues in my heart because of the broken family I came from, the abuse I suffered, all of that thing. I've built walls and barriers and now I'm resistant to God's authority in so many different ways. I see I need my heart healed. I, I see I embrace lies about myself and about life and people. I need the truth into my heart. I need to renew my mind. Oh, I see, I seem to be powerless. I need deliverance from things that have got around my life. Now I need to invest in building the qualities of the kingdom into my life. Meekness and humility and purity and uprightness and faithfulness and loyalty. I need to be intentional. So your first part of your journey is just cleaning up your act. After that, it gets much deeper and it gets very personal. And just things which are little things that no one would even notice, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and tells you, that's not loving. Come on, repent of that and let me show you what it means to love people. How awesome. Call to relationship, intimacy, knowing Him, walking with Him, trusting Him, honoring Him. We're called to service, to serving Him engaging in what he's called us to do, doing it passionately, doing it well, fulfilling it faithfully, whatever it is. And we're called also to grow, to grow up. You know, Paul said, don't be, put away the childish stuff. Grow up. Grow up to become like Christ. How, how appalling when the church remains immature. Immaturity looks like it's all about me and I'm offended. That's what it looks like. That's exactly the face of it. 
immaturity. We must grow, must be committed to do that growing. Amen? Why don't you close your eyes right now? What an amazing privilege God has given us. That he has appointed us to manage his creation. How generous that he sent his son to fix up our mess, to die on our behalf on the cross. And to offer us a way back into relationship and into glory with him. One of the saddest things would be for us to reject the offer, the invitation to be included in the people God calls my family. If you've been born into this world, you're born outside God's family. You're programmed literally to look out for yourself like an orphan. God extends an invitation through Jesus Christ to accept that he loves you, has paid a price for your sin and failure, and he wants to welcome you into his family. It just requires a decision from you to say yes to Jesus Christ. It tells us in the Bible, to as many as received him, made him welcome in their life, responded to him and began to follow him. He gave power, the authority, the right to become a child of God. That's within your decision today. What's holding you back? Fear? Fear of a God who loves you so much he gave everything for you? Pride? What will people think of me? Listen, God can be trusted. There is no one you know in your life that has given their life up for you, but Jesus Christ did. Today I invite you to say yes to Jesus Christ. I invite you to receive him into your life and heart. And if you've fallen away from him, you, you've lost sight, you've been seduced away from the, the honor of what it means to be a child of God. Today would be a great day to return to him. And if something's got in your heart, an offense or some kind of issue's got in your heart, today would be a great day to just bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, I release this thing to you. Is there anyone here would just right at this point want to make that decision? I want to receive Jesus Christ. Will you just raise your hand so I can see? Just raise your hand. I want to receive Jesus. Anyone here right now, right at that place, I want to receive Jesus Christ. I want to become a Christian. I want to be born again. If that's you, just put your hand up quickly like that so I can just see it right now. Anyone here? Anyone here? If you're here and you've fallen away from the Lord and you're no longer walking with Him, why don't you say, God, I'm coming back to you today. Raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to do that today. Raise your hand. I want to come back to Him. I want to draw back into His presence again. If there's anyone here and you're holding things in your heart that are blocking intimacy, blocking your serving God, blocking you representing Him, why don't you say, today, Lord, I want to put that right. Let's just all stand together, and as we stand, the presence of God will come as we just worship and honor Jesus. I want to thank you for being just so attentive. 
There's a lot that I shared. I know that. I encourage you to get the message. Go back over it and study the scriptures yourself. There's many others that could be shared that teach these things. Begin to build the truth. This is who I am. I am not some failure. I am not some broken person. I'm a child of the living God. God himself dwells in me. I am called part of his family. I am called beloved. I belong to him. I refuse to live in shame. If you're here today and you want to receive ministry of some kind, respond to the Lord. Just make your way to the front as others do. Come on, let's worship together. speaking to me. I want to come and open my heart to you today. Would you do it right now? Come, come, come now. Come now. Don't let anything stop you. God, I hear your voice. I'm responding to you. Yet night, night and day, let incense arise. Yes, Lord. Night and day, let breezes arise. worship you. If that's you today, you have some need, you say, Lord, I want to respond today. I want to respond. You've been speaking to me today. Would you come? Would you come? You know, please come. Please come. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Don't miss your moment. Just come. So, Jesus, I need your touch right now. This is the area. Can we have some ministry team come up to pray for people, please? Come up to someone here, here, over here. Just come and pray and minister. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the powerful message of sonship. We thank you that you are teaching us how to function as you intended. Lord, today we embrace your truth and your word. Lord, help us and teach us to apply it into our life, deepening our relationship, strengthening our service, and growing in maturity. Lord, we honor you and thank you today in Jesus' name. We bless this house. We bless the members of this house, the leaders of this house. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being here in Jesus' name. God bless. Have an awesome day.